Welcome to Crossroads Connection. This is a show all about having conversations surrounding life, ministry, and culture. I want to say a quick thank you to our friends at the Truth Network for airing this program. And thank you for listening. I am Tyler, and I am joined by Andy and Jamie. How are you both doing? Hey, Tyler. I'm doing really, really good. Really, really good. <laughs> Yeah. Really, really. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. What about Andy? Can you top that? Are you better than yes, really, really good? Yes, I, I am. I am really, really, really ridiculously good. So there you go. So I added, <laughs> I added a top. really and went up a notch to the ridiculous level. You but can't really top that. Top that. <laughs> I know. But yes, I am so grateful to be able to do this uh, show again this week. And as Tyler said, thank you for wherever you're listening from. You know, I think the three of us, we've been doing this. Uh, for a while now. I think this is over, it's over 20 episodes right now on the wow. Truth Network that wow. we've done. I, I believe that's I what it is. That. It's right around there. And cool. uh, and I just love the opportunity that not only the three of us have a chance to talk, but also interview guests, uh, talk about all things, you know, transformation that we've been in this year, and also hopefully encourage people who are driving or listening wherever they're listening from right now. I mm-hmm. hope that, you know, this is a time. It's noon, right? It's noon on Saturday. So what a great time uh, if people are out and about just to get a little encouraged and and hopefully that this is about, you know, Crossroads Connection. It's, it's like you said, we're talking about life, ministry, and culture. And I've really enjoyed the opportunity to do this, especially, especially right now. I think everybody can use encouragement. Everybody can use a few laughs here and there. And, uh, and you know, it's True. just kind of the phase of life that we're in right now. Yeah, yeah. So Andy, yeah. for anybody that maybe is joining us and listening for the very first time today, we we talk about often what the, the, the year of 2020 is a year of transformation for our church. So do you want to kind of explain to people if they're listening, they've they've not heard that before, what the year of transformation looks like at Crossroads? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the word transformation, it's not solely Crossroads Fellowship. I think that no matter where you're listening from, whether you're here in the Triangle or listening from somewhere else in the country, that that word transformation is just a good word to hang on to mm-hmm. uh, because transformation is a biblical concept, in my opinion. In fact, the reason why we went into this year of transformation from the church's point of view was that we wanted to have a year where we allowed the word of God to transform us. In other words, I think too yeah. many Christians just read the Bible and then they kind of just put a check mark next to it and then they move on. Mm-hmm. And this idea, I think, was God-given to not just me, but our staff and our team back in the fall when we looked at 2020 and said, okay, this is the year. We know that the word is transformation, but one of the greatest ways that we can be transformed is by trying somehow to get our entire church, and quite honestly, anybody who's listening, into scripture. Uh, I think when the new year starts, what are some of the first things you see people do, right? People make resolutions. Mm-hmm. They they mm-hmm. want to you know get in shape. They want to go to the, the gym. gym. Membership. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. gym membership. And you know, church church always has a big bump in the beginning of the year because everybody's making yeah. a commitment back to church. And and of course, in the middle of all that as well, you also have things like people will take time and they'll fast and they'll pray. But it's also a time when a lot of people get into some sort of Bible reading. Uh, program or app or something like that, where they can actually start going through the Bible and people start January 1, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. And I just, I've been a pastor for a long time. You both have been around church a long time. And I just know in my life, how many times I've probably started and stopped Mm. reading through the Bible in order. Now, over the years, I'm sure I've read the Bible multiple times through, but I've never really read it from beginning to end. And what we're doing is what's called canonical, which is basically just following the way that our Bible has been put together, starting with Genesis, going straight through Revelation in a year's time. And and to tie in that word transformation, it's not just that we can 
check a box. Although I have the Bible app and I absolutely love every day when I read it, you hit the little like check mark and it's done. You kind of feel good <laughs> and accomplished. Yeah. But I think, I think too many people just do things like this just so they can get that little check mark. And what we want to do is I want to encourage you right now, once again, whether you're part of our church at Crossroads Fellowship or not, I want to encourage you to get into the word of God because it is absolutely transformational. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, Tyler, Jamie, or people listening, but what has helped me immensely get through this last four months mm-hmm. of all things coronavirus and all things global and all things, uh, whether it's uh, racial tension or my own personal stuff or wondering what's going to be happening in church world and church culture, quite honestly, it's reading scripture. It really is. It's yeah. getting back to, hey, God's already kind of showed us what's normal and what is good. And all we got to do is read it and we got to apply it. Uh, yeah, Andy, that's so true. I know that th- reading through this plan in the midst of this coronavirus has been really grounding for me as well. So the coronavirus really impacted how we were able to, you know, meet together as a church and kind of what church looked for look, looked like for us on, on a weekend. So do you want to talk through maybe how church looks different for us now that we, um, you know, our church isn't closed and uh, the work of the church isn't over and it hasn't stopped, but we have changed the way that we're doing some of these things. Do you want to talk mm-hmm. through some of that? Yeah. So before I do that, just real quickly, just to tie a bow on the transformation thing. If you're listening uh, right now and you want more information about it, you can go to crossroads.org slash 2020. And I want to encourage you, whether you've started the Bible reading plan or not, or whether you're just going to jump in at any point, uh, there's a PDF download there. There's links there that will help you out and get on your way. There's also resources for kids and students as well. Uh, I just always want to be a, a champion. And I think our church wants to do that as well, just to champion well. What does it look like to get into the Word of God? So crossroads.org slash 2020. So this is the most interesting season. Uh, I've been a pastor for 26 years full-time, started off in youth ministry, and then I was a campus pastor launching a campus and and now senior pastor. And I can say with certainty that the season that we've been in in the last four months and what looks like will be for the next several months as well has been the most difficult but also the most rewarding seasons I've seen a church go through, not just as a pastor, but just as a congregate member, just as a a church, we've seen the good and the bad of what's happening. And it's caused us to rethink how we're doing church. So yes, we have been reopened for the last couple of weeks. It is very, very different. Uh, We have to use words like we've never thought we had to use before, social distancing. Uh, We have to use words like wear a mask. And we have to use words like, Uh, Don't stay in the church building once we're done. You got to (laughs) exit. Don't sit on any furniture, right? We got all these things that we put into place that is just so incredibly awkward to some degree because that's not typically what you think church is supposed to be about. Yeah, usually you're trying to get people to stick around and and hang out. Yes, but now we're trying to get them out. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, but we felt that it was important to open the church, and I'll tell you why it was important for us. And every church has to make their own decision. One, our Millbrook campus is big, right? We have big hallways. We have three large venues. We could do social distancing and still have several hundred people come to church and do it well and do it safely. In fact, one of the things I've enjoyed hearing from people is how safe they feel coming to our service and how uh, really smooth it is, really thought through. So if our building wasn't the way it was or is, uh, for example, our Wake Forest campus, that's exactly the reason why we haven't started there is because... It, it's not big enough and uh, it's it's just harder to do this. So for us, what's what's happened is it's caused us to rethink how people attend church. As you said, Tyler, it's not about 
the church is being closed or services being canceled. In fact, our service is the same as it's been. We, we have pretty much the same kind of programming as we've always had for our worship service. So we have worship, we've got MC spots, we got a message, we got songs at the end. Uh, you know, we still do all the, the promotional stuff we have to do as well. It's just how people are coming to church. And we realize that not everybody's going to do that, right? That there's a lot of people. In fact, we're probably running somewhere around 25 to 30% at the most of people coming back to our church building, which means that there's 80 to 70 to 80% of people still watching online, uh, Mm -hmm. plus all the other people watching online. And we want to encourage people that if you don't feel safe to come to the church building or for some reason, because we don't have kids or students or classes right now, there's a lot of people opting to stay at home, which is also totally fine. So yeah, it's not closed. It's not canceled, but it, it sure is different right now. And everybody's, everybody's doing that in their own way, in their own areas as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Andy, we um, decided this week we would uh, listen to a slightly longer clip of a recent sermon of yours than we typically do because we thought this one was really timely. Is there anything you'd like to say to set this uh, sermon clip up? Yeah. So I think what I like to say about it is I took two weeks to preach out of Psalm 51. And this was part two this last week. And, and Psalm 51, let me just set it up because it's important to understand the context of Psalm 51. And you're right, typically we have a guest on, but this this passage just made us all pause and stop for a moment just to really get our mind around what exactly this could be. So the sermon title, which is Create Me a Clean Heart, comes out of Psalm 51. The context of Psalm 51 is that this is a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went into him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And if you know your Bible at all, for people who are listening, Um, David stayed back when his men were out to war and he noticed Bathsheba. And when he noticed her, he immediately knew that he wanted to be with her. And as a result of that, there was a great sin that he committed. He ended up having her husband, Uriah, killed in battle, put him in the front lines. And he's been living, some, some scholars say, nine months to a year without any repentance of this. And so the sin in this psalm is that he's lamenting the folly and the wickedness that he committed against his neighbor's wife. And he expresses this in a lot of ways once Nathan Nathan comes to him. And when you walk through Psalm 51, see, I think a lot of people might read Psalm 51 and just kind of go, well, that's a really great prayer. But to understand the deep conviction and expression of guilt and shame that David felt is very, very important to understand that. So we took the first week, we talked about how God had mercy on him. We talked about the way that David confessed. And I want to set up this clip you're going to hear from the sermon that we just preached in Psalm 51, verses 7 to the end of that chapter, but really verses 7 to 12, he talks about restoration. And it's important to understand that God does not leave us broken. And I think that's important for people to hear even right now in the phase of time that we're in, that God's not going to leave us broken. He's not going to leave our country broken. He's not going to leave churches broken or your family or your own personal life broken. He's going to restore it. Well, in this passage, he restores David in three primary ways that I think are real relevant for us He restores his heart, he restores his joy, and he restores his spirit. Out of those three, the restoring of joy has been the one I've gotten the most feedback on because a lot of people right now just aren't having fun, right? There's a lot of people not having a lot of fun in life and and a lot of joy or happiness in life. And I think it's important to know that, that God can absolutely restore back to that salvation moment and that joy that comes with that. And so that's kind of the setup for the clip we're going to hear just in a minute. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear it then. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsor and then let's hear this sermon clip. Perhaps you've asked yourself this question. Are you running the business or is the business running you? 
How might your teams grow if your teams were driving the business forward instead of you? You are sitting on a wealth of untapped opportunity. It takes courage to learn how to create a culture where your people are truly empowered to own their seats. My name's Cheryl Scanlon, business and executive coach. Working together, we'll go straight to your core challenges to sort through competing demands and realign to your highest priorities for measurable results. Visit c3advantage.net. That's c3advantage.net. In Psalm 51, verse 7, it says, Purge me with hyssop. We're going to get to what that means in a moment. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. I want to talk for a few minutes about restoration and primarily in three areas. The first area is restoration of the heart. That God in his wisdom is hearing David's prayer to God restore him in his heart. To create in him a clean heart. Do a new work, a cleaning work inside of who he is. Now what you understand about this is the first part it talks about the hyssop. What's fascinating and I love about David is David is now recognizing God as his high priest. David dare not do that himself. In other words, what David is saying is, God, I can't clean myself. I can't do this alone. I can't take even a symbolic hyssop branch to represent you and do that myself. God, you have to restore my heart. So I love that. I think too often we try to fix it ourselves. We try to just mask it over or think that it's just going to go away or we bury things way down deep so we don't feel it. But church, God wants to restore your heart. He wants to do a deep work in my heart and in your heart, the heart of our church. And it's something that only he can do. See, what's fascinating about the book of Psalms is we see Jesus represented woven throughout the book of Psalms as well. One of the things that came to mind as David is praying this prayer, knowing full well that this was not David's place to do this. It was a priest's place to do this. What I love is that in the scripture it says that we have a high priest named Jesus that does this for us. In other words, church, you and I don't have to fix our own broken heart. We can allow Jesus, our high priest, to go before us and represent before us and do a deep work into our life. And here's why this is so needed. Why this is so needed is scripture says that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. We can even say that out of the abundance of our heart, our actions follow. And what's happening right now in the climate around us is we are seeing a lot of people's inner heart come through. We're seeing a lot of people respond in anger and in fear for whatever reason, across the board. We're seeing that exposed. And I want to encourage you and me to make sure that our heart is right before God because out of that heart is what's going to happen. Out of that heart is how we're going to speak. Out of that heart is going to be our maturity level, our current climate. And here's the thing, the current climate that we're in. And take your pick of of things, right? You can take your pick of a list of things a mile long, whether we see it culturally or just personally. But what happens right now is character is being revealed. You seeing that as well? Character is being revealed right now. And we're seeing it play out on social media. We're seeing it play out in neighborhoods. We're seeing it play out in families. That what's inside of our heart is being revealed under pressure and under stress. For those that are mature in Christ, 
what should be being shown, and let's just go to it. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit under pressure and under stress, that is what mature believers are showing the world right now. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, mercy, self-control, right? That is what's being shown. What comes into me, I can't control. What comes out of me, I can absolutely control. But it's all based on the condition of my heart before God, saying, God, and this is why that prayer, God, search me and know my heart, know everything about me is so important because it's so important that we as believers respond in a way that is God-honoring, that we as believers respond to the cultural things that are happening in a God-honoring way. It's spiritual maturity. This is why, I mean, quite honestly, and I know we keep going back to this, but this is why this year of getting into this Word of God right here is so important. Because this is what we should be meditating on in our heart day and night. This is what should be being exposed to the world around us. That's why it's so important that we don't just read this and check a box, that we allow this to transform us. Because when things get tough, and by the way, if it's not the coronavirus right now, or if it's not racial tension right now, it's going to be something else in a couple months. And not to be a doomsdayer by any means, but Jesus said it's going to get worse, it's not going to get better. So whatever's happening now, it's actually going to get worse before he comes back. I mean, you're glad you came to church today to hear that. But it's the reality. We can't, you can't hide it. Jesus said that, but he also said, take comfort, I've already overcome the world. So we can walk into that unknown, we can walk into that stress and that unknown of what's going to happen tomorrow with the confidence of knowing that Jesus already overcame it. Amen, church? Like, that's what he did. We just sang about it not 15 minutes ago, that the victory is yours. Jesus said that in his own words, that in this world you're going to have problems, there's going to be troubles, there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be issues. But I've I've already overcome that. So now the question is, how do we as a church and you as the church, how are we showing that to the world? It has to start with God restoring our heart. A restoration of right here. The second restoration I want to talk about this morning is a, restor- is a restoring of joy. You notice in that verse that we just read, he asked God to bring him back to the joy of your salvation. The joy of your salvation. Isn't it interesting how it's worded? He didn't say the joy of my salvation. He said the joy of your salvation. There's something powerful about realizing once again that this is something that only God could do. That David was asking God, bring him back to the joy when God saved his life. We think and hear about this often, but I wonder how many of us really remember that moment. Like, Do you remember that moment that that salvation became real to you? That moment, for some of you, it might have been a long time ago. For some of you, it might have been last week. Do you remember the moment when you were forgiven, truly forgiven? The moment when the God of the universe, this big unknown God, became known to you? Do you remember that moment when that relationship became real in your life? And do you still have that joy? Is that still anchored in who you are? The joy of God's salvation in our life. We talk about joy often. I feel like I think we talk about it probably more than almost anything else. Because joy is so powerful, it's spiritual. We talk about this before, it's not happiness, it's not circumstances, it's not highs and lows one day to the next day, your joy goes up and down and up and down. Joy is something that's bigger than that. 
And for you and I to have our joy restored, let's face it, right now, there might be some of you here or online where just the burden of what's happening, maybe it's financial or maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical or family-wise, we feel defeated, deflated, and maybe you're struggling to have joy. And I want to encourage you, if anything else today, to allow the God who can give joy to restore your joy. I was reminded of this the other day. The other day, Kennedy and I were together. Kennedy, my daughter, she's 16. We were driving, and something happened where the circumstance around it, uh, you know, was, was kind of bad, and, and Kennedy was kind of upset about it. And she was more upset than I actually wasn't upset by it. And we were in a car driving, and I remember very clearly, it was just uh, not that long ago, she said, said Dad, why, why aren't you angry about this? Why are you, like, smiling, and why, why do you, she said, why do you act as if it doesn't bother you? That's what she said. And it was one of those dad moments where I had her trapped in the car, and she couldn't go anywhere. And we were driving. And I remember just taking time and saying, Kennedy, I'm never going to allow somebody else to steal my joy. Why would I allow somebody who's ignorant to take my joy away from me? Because I have to give my joy away. You can't take my joy. I have to give it away. And so do you. And of course, as a 16-year-old, she's like, well, my... They took my joy away. I'm like, yeah, but you gave it away. No, they took it away. No, you gave it. That went on for like 10 minutes during our drive. Like, no, you, you gave your joy away. Why did you allow somebody you don't even know that did something ignorant, why did you allow them to take away your joy and get you this riled up? I refuse to let anybody do that to me because you didn't give me my joy. Circumstance didn't give me my joy. My joy came when I realized that I wasn't alone. My joy came when I realized that Jesus loved me unlike anybody else. My joy came when I was able to give him my shame and my guilt and all of my mistakes and was forgiven. That is my joy. I reminded, yeah, that's a good place to say amen or clap or do something, church. Come on. I was reminded as I was preparing for this when Jesus sent away the disciples to go do ministry. And they go into ministry and they all come back to him. And they're pretty excited because they had done this phenomenal ministry. They cast out demons and they healed the sick and people came to faith and believed in Jesus and on and on and on they went. They were all riled up. And Jesus' response was pretty powerful. In a sense, to paraphrase, he said, that's all great. But you should rejoice more that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life than anything else. Oh, what perspective that is. What a great perspective it is that that no matter what I do in life, my highs, my lows, my accomplishments in life, how good I feel about things, that at the end of the day, Jesus brings it back to his salvation. In other words, on my darkest day, when maybe other people seem as though we shouldn't have any joy, that at the end of the day that my salvation in God truly is all the joy that I need. And nobody can take that from you. And I felt so passionate about this this morning because it breaks my heart to see people's joy being given away. 
And yes, I'm careful to say given away, not taken away, because I, trust me, no matter what somebody is doing to you or says about you or the circumstance around you, it is your choice and my choice to give away my joy. You can't take it. And again, the reason why circumstance and people can't take away my joy is because it's not from them. It's from God. Let's not confuse happiness and circumstances with joy. And some of you today, maybe you've lost your joy. I'm seeing it happen all over the place. And when I say that, I'm seeing it happen amongst Christians. I'm seeing it happen in churches. I'm seeing the weight and the stress of everything rob us of our joy. Now listen, that's not to say that your circumstance and my circumstances aren't very real. Trust me, they are very real. There's many of us that are dealing with things that we never thought we'd have to deal with. There's things that are affecting our families. There's finances. There's sicknesses. There's stress. There's worry. I mean, I got a 16-year-old and a 21-year-old. He's about to go to a senior year in college. She's going to her junior year at high school. And I have no idea what's happening. And we're still waiting to hear and still waiting to find out. And, and then even when you hear things, you're like, yeah, but is that really going to happen? It's so unknown. And we can get so pulled into that vortex that we lose sight of our joy of our salvation. Church, get back to our joy of salvation. And because I can't take it from you and I didn't give it, don't look to me to give you joy. And don't look to something unhealthy to give you joy, even if it's just for a temporary time. Get back to who we are in Christ. Let's start acting like we are who we say we are, Christians, with the joy in our salvation. Amen? The third area of restoration is this. It's the restoration of the Spirit. Thank you for joining and listening to our program today. And thank you to Crossroads Fellowship and the Truth Network for making this show possible. You can find out more information about Crossroads Fellowship at crossroads.org. If this show has impacted you, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at info at crossroads.org. Thank you to C3 Advantage for sponsoring this program. We look forward to having you join us on the next show. Your success as a leader hinges upon buy-in from your teams, clear and consistent communication from you, and strategic delegation. My name's Cheryl Scanlon. C3 Advantage helps you steward your most valuable resource well, improve retention, grow employee engagement, and generate higher team and individual ownership. The success of your organization begins with you and depends on your team. Go deeper as a leader and watch your organization go further. Visit c3advantage.net at c3advantage.net.